Happy Monday. Welcome in to NSN Daily. He is Chris Murray. I'm Shannon Kelly. Thanks for joining us here on Monday. Chris, it is June event season in full swing mm -hmm. in northern Nevada. The Barbecue Blues and Brews Festival was this past weekend. The Reno Rodeo obviously is underway. It's the start of summer, even though it might not feel like the it. Start today. of the windy season, apparently. <laughs> it was very windy over the weekend. We're going to send you out to the Reno Rodeo here soon with Mike Stephenson and very windy out there as well. But yet we are going to those marquee events and uh, we haven't completely turned the corner on the weather, but we are uh, you know, enjoying the outdoors and they still sold out both days over the weekend for the Reno Rodeo. The Reno Rodeo continues to be one of the premier events here in northern Nevada, the wildest, richest rodeo and the rest. And they don't say that lightly. They don't <laughs> they don't say that lightly. <laughs> we'll check in with Mike here in just a little bit, but some Nevada football news coming over the weekend. Bentley Sanders signed with the XFL's DC Defenders this after he got a shot, a few little mini camps, and now Bentley has found a home in the XFL. Yeah, a great chance drafted into the XFL. We'll see how long that league exists, but hopefully at least one more year so Bentley can get some pro experience. Yeah, there's been a lot of back and forth with the XFL over the years, so we'll get into that in just a little bit. Of course, the College World Series is underway for college baseball, and a few ties uh, from Northern Nevada and the university are playing in the World Series. Yeah, Nevada's last two head coaches, TJ Bruce with TCU and then Jay Johnson with LSU, both those teams alive as we record this. And I think LSU is probably going to win the championship, but if they're going to do so, they're going to have to go through Wake Forest. So it'll be fun to track those two over the next few days as well. Wake Forest, the number one seed in this year's tournament. We'll head out now to the Reno Sparks Livestock Event Center. Mike Stephenson is standing by over there for us. Mike, you got your bucket hat on. You don't have your rodeo hat, no cowboy <laughs> hat, but you got a hat on. So we're proud of you <laughs> for that. <laughs> this is about as close as I'm going to get to the cowboy hat, you guys, but I got to wear the branded gear. And yeah, it's it's tied up nice and tight because it is a hold on to your hat kind of morning here at Slack as we are slacking off on a Monday morning. Right now, the uh, women's breakaway roping taking place as we get set for, boy, the fourth PRCA performance already at the Reno Rodeo coming up tonight. And yeah, you guys mentioned the breeze. It has temporarily calm down but I think we know this region well enough that it's going to be back in mere moments as it arrives right on cue so yeah the breeze it looks nicer than it feels out here right now I can only imagine uh, for these competitors who in these timed events really every element if you will is critical but uh, again slack is going on right now we get the fourth PRCA performance tonight and I will say if you are coming tonight dress appropriately hopefully the breeze goes away and maybe just some of that cooler air settles in but uh, right now yeah, it's a little breezy, a little chilly out here as we watch women's breakaway roping, guys. One of the cool things about the Reno Rodeo is how many locals from northern Nevada come back into town because they are some of the elite uh, rodeo uh, personnel in the entire country. So walk us through a little bit in terms of the locals who have competed and will compete uh, as the Reno Rodeo finishes out this week. Yeah, I know, Chris, they call Wyoming the Cowboy State, but I feel like Nevada might be in there at... The Cowboy State time, uh, Part 2, perhaps? Yeah, we saw Wyatt Denny, the bareback rider out of Minden. Boy, he started things off with a bang on Friday. He won Friday night's performance with an 85.5, so that should be good enough. His two heads to get him back here for next Saturday's short round. We'll have to see as the rest of the week plays out. I can, I can explain how that works here in a minute. Then we saw Dakota Eldridge yesterday, who was a former champion here at the Reno Rodeo, the steer wrestler out of Elko. He won last night's round with a 3.6. His two ahead was 8.5 because he went again in the morning yesterday. That should be enough to get him back here Saturday as he looks for another set of silver spurs. And then tonight we have Trenton Montero riding in bareback. He is out of Winnemucca. 
There's a bunch of uh, Cowboys out of Winnemucca as Luke Logan will also be here in Saddlebronk as well as uh, Mitch Pollock, pardon me. He is also out of Winnemucca. They're all bareback riders and saddle bronc riders, pardon me. And then just before we came on air out here from Slack, we had Jade Corkill roping. He is a team roper, a healer. He is a three-time world champion. If you drive into Churchill County, they have a sign proudly displaying that that is the home of Jade Corkill. So he is back at his home region rodeo, and he will be roping for his second time coming up in tonight's fourth PRCA performance. And then I was looking ahead to tomorrow a couple of cowboys out of churchill county and sterling lambert and sam goings they are steer wrestlers they will be here tomorrow and that is not it there are more cowboys and cowgirls out of the silver state some have proven to be some of the best in the world others still up and comers and working their way through the ranks but getting a chance to compete at the reno rodeo which as you can imagine is probably a thrill for anybody who grew up in this region and probably grew up coming to this rodeo to get to compete in it i can imagine what that feels like and maybe potentially win it can you imagine how that would feel not only does it come with those silver spurs but it comes with upwards of twenty thousand dollars toward your prca standings so explain to us, Mike, how it works. As you mentioned, Minden's Wyatt Denny, he competed the other night, but he finished first in his heat, but he might not necessarily make it to Saturday. So explain that to us a little bit. Yeah, basically, they'll only bring back the top, I believe, eight on, on Saturday. So we have multiple nights of events. Basically, these Cowboys will compete. Uh, if you're talking to bareback riders like Wyatt Denny, he'll get two nights to ride. They add those two scores together, and then basically it's a wait-and-see game. So he'll actually take off as we watch some more breakaway roping. Uh, he'll actually take off and go to other rodeos, and he'll keep his eye on the standings in Reno as the other bareback riders go throughout the following nights. He'll keep an eye on the standings and see where he stands. And if he remains within the top half, then he'll get to come back for what they call the short go on Saturday night. And that is when the real money is up for grabs. And, of course, the Silver Spurs are up for grabs. But it, it's the kind of scenario, guys, where he could be in the running to come back on Saturday. But then Friday night's results completely change that. And suddenly he thinks he's coming back to Reno the next day. And then he gets bumped out. And now he's got to alter his plans. And maybe he has to go to another rodeo. And so that is kind of the logistical um, quandary that some of these cowboys and cowgirls get put in because they'll have to commit to other rodeos and then maybe not be able to go to those rodeos or maybe they want to get back to Reno because they know they can make way more money in Reno so suddenly they're in Utah and they got to find a, a way to get back to Reno or maybe they're in Colorado so in, in covering rodeo now for about a decade that is one of the more fascinating things that I've come to learn about in terms of just how the logistics all work out and the amount of rodeos that these cowboys and cowgirls go to it is frankly exhausting you'll see competitors rope tonight and then they'll drive all through the night to get to a rodeo that starts the next day they'll see what they can do there and if things don't work out then they'll jump back in their rig and they'll go on to the next rodeo and see how things go there maybe they do well there cash a few checks then they go to the next place and it's all about of course stacking as much money as possible to get you to the national finals rodeo which takes place every december down in las vegas it is the top 15 in every event for 10 straight nights they rope inside the thomas and max center and if you win one of those rounds just one of those rounds during the nfr you're winning upwards of thirty thousand dollars for just one night when you're talking bareback or bull riding as you can hear that breeze i imagine you're talking an eight second ride for something like thirty thousand dollars so that is when things get real lucrative when you get to the national finals rodeo but when you look at reno reno is right toward the top as far as regular season rodeos go and the payday that you can have here in the biggest little city
You've talked on this show before that when you grew up in Reno, you kind of went out to the rodeo just to go to the carnival and chase the girls. But then when you began your career in Montana, that's really when you got a love for this sport and for the world of rodeo. So what happened out there that kind of gave you a better appreciation of what you were watching and maybe getting away from that carnival? Yeah, it really was all about the carnival. And then in those college years, Chris, a little bit of jack tent sprinkled in. And I remember in my younger years, always kind of hearing the rodeo going on, right? And looking up and seeing the bright lights and hearing the rodeo announcer, Bob Tallman, of course, the legend from out here. Um, but I never knew much about it. I had friends growing up out in Red Rock that would, would rope. And so I knew a little bit about what it consisted of, but I had no idea in terms of how the sport worked, how they had to make money, how the national finals worked. So yeah, you said it. I ended up moving to Montana to start my career, was surrounded by people in the in media that covered rodeo and loved rodeo and so that obviously kind of rubbed off on me and there was some pretty fun rodeos that I got to cover in Montana you know basically you hear a lot of the Cowboys tell you that the Reno rodeo kind of starts off their summer run and when you get into the fourth of July it's what's called Cowboy Christmas and it's basically a chance for them to make all kinds of money at a string of rodeos that basically just take place one after the other and a handful of those are in Montana so you'll see guys compete in multiple rodeos in the state of Montana really within the same day uh, some of them get flown around it's pretty fascinating stuff so once I got to see a little bit of that dynamic I got to meet some of these cowboys and cowgirls and kind of realize just how they're they're some of the best athletes in their sport but they're so down to earth and they're so normal and they have to work just as hard as someone that's an up-and-comer if you're a star in this game you have to work just as hard as someone who's trying to make a name for themselves and so that was something i really appreciated and then frankly i got to go to the national finals and i got to cover some of our local montana cowboys at the national finals rodeo and once i saw those bright lights and i saw the kind of money that was being made and just the kind of intensity of it all i just really grew to love the sport also became relatively close friends with a guy uh, named Shane Hanchi who we're looking forward to having on NSN Daily come this Wednesday when he makes his way through the Reno Rodeo. I got to be pretty close with him and he was a world champion the year I met him and so I think kind of having a, a friend in the game if you will kind of made it even more exciting for me and so ever since then I've kind of just geeked out when it when it comes to, uh, Reno Rodeo time and you know I'm in the grounds as much as I can be. It is not about the carnival or the jack tent anymore. It is about the competition here inside of here because uh, I have so much respect for it. I really do. And just kind of the grind that these cowboys and cowgirls go through. And then knowing that this is my hometown, I love this area. And knowing that we have such a special rodeo that people across the country look forward to, I really appreciate that. And so I've grown to love the sport. Maybe another another national finals trip in the in the cards this year. I'll have to talk to the talk to the management upstairs about that though. Mike, since you have been covering it now okay. for so long, you've had such a journey uh, covering rodeo. What is your favorite event? in rodeo to cover. My favorite event, we just missed it coming on here, but it is tie down roping because that is what my buddy Shane competes in. Um, and so that is uh, one of the older school events, I suppose you could say, and it's uh, involves roping the calf. They got to hop off their horse. They got to run up to that calf and they got to um, tie up the legs. I kind of love that raising the hand. That's when the clock stop as soon as they raise their hand and then, and then you get your time. So that is one of my favorite events. I like that in team roping. I just love when the when the lassos are involved because it's such a skill. And I go back to Jade Corkill, who was a healer 
that's probably one of the toughest things to do in rodeo outside of us sitting on a bull for eight seconds. Heel, roping the heels of a calf after your partner has grabbed the head is one of the most difficult things to do, probably not just in rodeo, but all, on all of pro sports. And Jade Corkill out of Churchill County has proven to be one of the best in the world. He was the world champion 2012, 2013, and 2014. And I got to be there at the NFR for one of those years because his partner at the time was actually a guy out of the market I was working in, Billings, Montana. So that was kind of a fun roundabout way as a boy that breeze is something that was kind of a fun roundabout way that i was covering a montana cowboy back then but then i got to cover a nevada cowboy at the same time and got to appreciate those two skills but yeah i like tie down and team roping are probably my two favorites you guys have favorites back there i do i love barrel racing that's my favorite i yep, love yep. watching the ladies barrel race that's, that's my favorite chris i said that as well last week that my favorite is barrel racing so i'm gonna stay with that uh i don't know if the barrels would be staying up unfortunately <laughs> yeah. today in the rodeo uh, <laughs> arena know. that's a little windy out there but uh mike's uh they're trying to <laughs> the barrel yeah i think the barrels are right down here they're getting set to uh line them up here as barrel racing is the last thing to take place here at slack which i explained it a little bit last friday when nikki pika was out here but basically Envision, imagine going to like an NBA game or something and those players play the first half of the game in the morning and it's free and anybody can come and watch. That's basically what's happening here. These timed events, they need to get two times because as I said, it's such a popular rodeo that they have to whittle down the field for who's going to come back next Saturday. So they get two times. They go in the morning and then when you watch them when it's a packed house in the evening, that's actually their second time of the day and you add those two times together and then that determines if they get paid that night and if they're going to come back for Saturday's big money round and a chance to win the Silver Spurs. So you're seeing just as significant of competition this morning as you will tonight. Arguably more significant because you want to put a good time in the morning to give yourself a chance uh, to match it in the evening and you do see a handful of people out here I will say I covered slack the last couple of years and this feels like a decent amount of people compared to the last few years and it's really only like 35 50 people maybe and so this is kind of a prime opportunity that maybe not a ton of people know about in, uh, and in that you can come watch the world's best compete you're obviously not getting the the clown shows and the kind of the the, the skits in between you don't have Bob Tallman on the microphone but it's really that down and dirty kind of pure competition of the sport. And you also see the camaraderie that all these cowboys have. Basically, they'll do their run. Then they'll hop off the horse and they'll help out everybody else's run. Um, because really they are going at each other, but they always they all see each other at all these rodeos over the year that there's such a camaraderie within this sport. Maybe some rivalries in between all that, but at the same time, they're all kind of on the same team at the end of the day when it comes to uh, getting these rodeos off without a hitch and then uh, getting the best time as possible. It's crazy the difference between the morning and the night, but it's all so important if they want to make it to championship Saturday for all these cowboys and cowgirls. Hey, Mike, thanks for taking the time to join us. Hold on to your hat out there, please. My pleasure, guys. Yeah, I'm going to be taking in the rodeo tonight as a fan, and uh, you can best believe I'm going to dress accordingly, um, but it, it should be a good one here tonight. The Rio Road. It looks like we're going to have a little tie down, a little re, uh, re time. Actually, we're going to see. This might be a steer wrestler. You want to stick around for a second, watch some steer wrestling? Let's just see. Looks like this is an additional, uh, additional steer. So now what you're seeing here, if you want to zoom in, our photographer Ice, who's handling the cold as well as he can. Basically, you're awaiting the horse to line up and keep its eye on that steer. Now, there's so many different variables here, but that steer's got to be ready to run. And now here he takes off. And now they'll jump off and try to get a time here and turn that steer over. And this is where it gets difficult. And oh. now he needs to flip over before the clock. The clock will still not stop. And 
It is still going, and that's going to be probably a no time for this gentleman. It finally gets him down. That is one of those uh, installments where the steer wins, guys. But that's, uh, <laughs> that's what you can see out here at the rodeo as, the, as that round goes to the steer. Good times out at the Reno Rodeo. It's, it's a blast joining you guys on NSN Daily. <laughs> hey, thank you, Mike. Enjoy your time out there tonight as a fan. Will do. Appreciate y'all. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, we'll head over to Greater Nevada Field. Nikki Pika checked in with Carson Kelly. We'll have his story right after the break. Back here on NSN Daily, the first half of the AAA season almost in the books. Chris, all-star break quickly approaching as the Aces are back at Greater Nevada Field this week. They split the series against the Las Vegas Aviators going 3-3 three and three, uh, this past week. But, man, mm -hmm. it was a slugfest down in Las Vegas. Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of runs. That's usually what we see in the PCL. But the Aces are sitting in pretty good spot, 38-31 and 31 overall. So they're four up on second place. Tacoma right now, they haven't played their best baseball this month. They're only 7-9 and nine in in June thus far, um, but they had some really good offensive performances. Dominic Canzone in particular named the PCL Player of the Week after he hit 524 last week with seven extra base hits and four home runs. He had a four-hit game. He had a separate two-home run game, so the Reno Aces. Um, the offense has been pretty consistent the whole year. It's been more about the pitching staff and the bullpen, and, uh, you know, pitching staff wasn't quite up to par in the last couple of series, but, uh, you know, still in a very comfortable position as they head to that mid uh, midway point. Canzone from Ohio, the Ohio State product, midst of a 12-game hitting streak this season. He's the second Reno Ace this year to be named the Pacific Coast League Player of the Week. Also joining Tristan English, who earned the award back in May. But as you said, the bats, there's been no uh, shortage, really, <laughs> of uh, hitting for Blake Lawley's squad again this year. And I feel like we seem to always see that for the aces especially more so here as it's a hitter friendly ballpark. Yeah it might be the best hitter ballpark in the entire country I mean even more than a Coors Field this is basically the Coors Field of the Pacific Coast League which makes it really hard to judge your pitchers and honestly really hard to judge your hitters as well because you look at Dominic Canzone he's done everything required to potentially get a call up to the big leagues unfortunately right now not on the 40-man roster so there'd have to be some roster changes there for him to get that call up but I think when guys are going out there and putting up electric numbers like Dominic has this year sometimes you're saying okay well that's the environment because he wasn't necessarily a highly thought after prospect. I think this is a guy who could hit at the big league level, but obviously Arizona deep in the outfield, and it's kind of hard to project how those numbers will play once you get out of this elevation and this heat that we usually have in Reno. But he's doing everything he can to try and get that opportunity. Have you been to a game on Friday nights yet? I have not. We have not hit the fireworks quite yet. Okay. Um, but uh, looking, looking to get out there. Uh, Going to be out of town the next couple of Fridays, but we'll, we'll find a way out to the ballpark. Yeah, soon. you will. There's still a lot of games left, <laughs> but are. it is hard to believe that it's already hitting the halfway point because it hasn't necessarily felt like baseball weather, as we said earlier <laughs> in the show with Mike out there at the rodeo. But uh, another player who has made their way back up to Arizona is Carson Kelly. He was rehabbing, spent some time in Reno. He suffered uh, fractured right his he fractured his right forearm during mm -hmm. spring training. So he made his debut with Arizona last week for the first time this season. But he had a pretty good outing here in Reno, batted 345 with three doubles, four RBIs, five runs in 29 at bats while he was 
in Reno. Yeah, unfortunate that he's had to deal with a lot of injuries. He was really the key piece in that Paul Goldschmidt trade from Arizona to St. Louis. Obviously, Goldschmidt won the MVP last year. So when you give up a talent like that, you want to get a lot of really good young minor league players. Carson Kelly was really that centerpiece. He's played okay with Arizona. He's kind of been their primary catcher the last five or six years. But the injuries, I think, have kind of kept him away from maybe breaking through as an all-star or top-tier kind of player. So, uh, like you said, he was with Reno back up there with Arizona since he's popped back up over 14 thus far with the big leagues, but always hard to really get right into the middle of things when everybody else went through their spring training woes in April. He's trying to catch up to the pace of play and just how hard it is to play Major League Baseball after that long delay. Nikki Pika had the chance to catch up with Kelly while he was in town. Here's his story. For many professional athletes, injuries become part of the game. The Arizona Diamondbacks sit atop the NL West dominating the league. But before the season started, their catcher, Carson Kelly, sustained an injury at the end of spring training. Kelly spent time rehabbing and came to the biggest little city to get reps in before heading back to the Red Hot D-backs. Just to, you know, continue to get my feet underneath me and, and get game ready. Um, the D-backs and the boys up there are playing really well, so uh, I want to make sure I'm right and make sure I'm, in a, I'm, in, I'm conditioned to get back up there and help them. And um, It's been a lot of fun to watch, and I, and I look forward to, to being part of it. <laughs> Baseball holds a special place in Kelly's life, and not just because it's his job. It's been everything. I think it's uh, it's taken me to a lot of cool places. It's given me a lot of uh, a lot of things, and uh, it's challenged me in so many different ways. And um, I'm blessed to to be able to play this game at a high level and and meet a lot of cool people. And um, it's it's been a fun journey. During the two months of rehabbing a broken forearm. Kelly's family has proven monumental on and off the field. I mean, they're they're always there, and um, it's special, you know. I mean, being a dad now, and it's changed my life. It's uh, it's changed my perspective on a lot of different things, and uh, I think it's actually made me a better baseball player. No matter what happens at the field, I get to go home and be a dad, and that's that's very special. Kelly played in eight games with the Aces, with a batting average of three forty-five. Kelly returns to the Diamondbacks with hopes of adding to the team's success. In Reno, Nikki Pika, Nevada Sportsnet. So the Aces back at Greater Nevada Field starting Tuesday at noon for the six-game series against the Isotopes, their final homestand of the month in downtown Reno. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, the Men's College World Series is well underway. We'll take a look at some of the former Nevada coaches that are now in Omaha this week. Back here on NSN Daily, the U.S. Open in the books, the annual event down in L.A., Chris, and it was pretty dramatic. Uh, Hollywood ending for Wyndham Clark, who defeated yes. Rory McIlroy by one stroke this weekend uh, to bring home his first major title. Yeah, I mean, it was an amazing tournament. Uh, not been at that specific golf course in its history, and, you know, there were some critiques from some people, uh, Brooks Kepka in particular, who won the PGA Championship didn't seem to be in love with the tournament, but this was a great story, and in some ways it was expected, in some ways it was unexpected. Uh, Wyndham Clark has played some really good golf over the last couple of months. He won the Wells Fargo last month, a 29-year-old out of Oklahoma State, also played at Oregon originally from Denver, Colorado. So from that perspective, he had been playing really good golf leading into this, but we had never seen him competitive 
in a major championship. This was his eighth major, the first seven. Uh, his best finish was tied for 75th. He had a lot of cuts, a lot of did not finishes, even if you include um, you know, some of the bigger events. He had never really been on that stage, and you don't know how someone's gonna follow through on that stage when they are in those pressure situations on the back nine of a major championship. He had a little slip up at 15 and 16, but he had a lot of up and downs, uh, made a lot of really good chips throughout the entire round and uh, where it was able to edge. Probably the fan favorite, Rory McIlroy, looking for his first major title in a long time by that one stroke, a really nice putt there from about 40 uh, feet out to, to get that tap in to win the championship. And his family was there. I know they talked mm -hmm. a lot on the broadcast about how his mother had passed away a couple of years ago and uh, to have his sister and brother had to be super special. That's really cool. What a special victory. A lot of exciting stuff has happened in golf lately, you know. Uh, it's just really cool to see because, you know, I feel like golf is almost kind of like baseball. You never know who's really going to come out of the woodworks <laughs> and have a great performance. You know, we saw as uh, Clark becomes the fourth golfer now to win the event the same week of making his first cut. That's pretty crazy to think how many years this tournament has been going on for. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what his odds were entering the tournament, but it couldn't have been higher than 35 to 1. So this was certainly a long shot. You don't tend to see long shots win the U.S. Open as maybe some of the other tournaments, but just because of how difficult those fields are and the actual courses are. You don't usually see somebody 10 under as well. And Rory McIlroy actually had the lowest round of somebody uh, over their four rounds, the lowest score uh, according to par in a U.S. Open to not win the championship. So it seemed like it was a little bit more forgivable course, but certainly not on Saturday and Sunday. I think the course started to show its teeth the last couple of rounds, and uh, Wyndham Clark was able to navigate that and, and just make the key uh, you know, putts and the key uh, saves from being off the green. And the thing with Rory is he's just not a great putter right now, and it's hard to win major championships when you aren't putting the ball great. He's obviously great with his irons. He drives the ball uh, a very, very long distance, but if you don't hit your putts, it's hard to win tournaments, and that's just kind of where he's found himself after winning those four really early on in his career. Now it's been almost 10 years since he won a major title. That's a long time, 10 yeah. years. For a guy that talented. Yeah, exactly, because he's, he's always up there. You always right. hear his name, yep. he's always up there. I know you golf, so do you like putting now? <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm not <laughs> a don't. great putter as well, but certainly, you know, if you want to put a nice, respectable score on that score, card you got to be able to make putts and um, you know it's an even more difficult challenge at that level I mean you got to routinely hit 20 25 footers that have break in them and Rory just hasn't been able to do that it's very unfortunate because if this guy was able to just putt maybe at the average of the PGA Tour he'd be pushing for double digit major championships right now and he just has not been able to find that you know when you can't find your putting stroke and it seems to come and go you know it's just very difficult to win championships and it, it does seem very cyclical in golf you'll see some guy have a really strong three or four months and then they kind of disappear for a couple years and then they come back we saw that with Brooke Kepska. now he was dealing with some injuries but mm -hmm. it seems like you know Scotty Scheffler is kind of the guy right now who's playing the best golf out there and he's been close to the last couple of tournaments but always cool when you see this underdog story and he just seemed super emotional after making that putt just showed you everything that he had been through uh, he almost gave up the game because he wasn't getting the results that he mm -hmm. wanted so to be able to win a major championship when you've been that close to giving up not only in college but then even when he was a pro thought of giving up at one point um, you know all rewarded with a, a great four rounds for him switching gears now talking college baseball the TCU Horn Frogs defeating the number seven ranked Virginia with a four to three victory on Sunday afternoon in Omaha former Nevada head coach TJ Bruce now associate head coach for the Horn Frogs and what a run it's been for TCU in the postseason winning the Big 12 tournament then knocking off the number three seed Arkansas sweeping Indiana State in the Super Regionals to make it to Omaha 
and now they'll face Oral Roberts on Tuesday. Yeah, if you include the conference tournament, they're 11 and one in the postseason. Those are huge numbers. Unfortunately, their loss did come in the first round of the College World Series. They lost to Oral Roberts six to five. They were cruising in that game. They gave up four runs in the ninth inning. That puts them in a very difficult position. Not only did they need to beat Virginia, now they need to beat Oral Roberts tomorrow, and then they would have to beat Florida in back-to-back games. So they'd have to win four in a row to get to the College World Series championship match. That's probably going to be difficult to do, but this team can really, really hit the baseball. So I think they have a chance to be able to do it, but that loss to Oral Roberts certainly crushing in terms of their aspirations of winning a national championship, but they finished the first of four wins, a very close game against Virginia that was a little bit back and forth as well. And we'll see if they can take down the underdog Oral Roberts team. That's kind of the team that nobody expected to be there. I mean, that uh, team was ranked fourth in their regional. They were only the third team ranked fourth in their regional even to get to the College World Series. So they've kind of been the Cinderella story that a lot of people are rooting for. But I think some people back home here who really enjoyed TJ Bruce at Nevada mm -hmm. hoping that TCU can make a run. I hope they can. It'd be exciting to see after they didn't necessarily have the best season and then won the Big 12 tournament to get that at-large bid. So would uh, sure be exciting for them and also former Nevada head coach Jay Johnson with LSU. They took down Tennessee six to three, a, a pretty dominating win, uh, especially on the mound. Yeah, I mean, Paul Skeeney started this one. He's the national pitcher of the year in college baseball. LSU also has the national player of the year in college baseball in Dylan Cruz. So talent not an issue at LSU at all. This is a super stacked team. Robbie Snelling even could have been on this team from McQueen, but he was a first round draft pick, ended up going pro. That seems like that's working out for him. They play Wake Forest today. These are the two best teams for me in college baseball. Wake Forest was the number one overall seed and they've cruised as well to the College World Series. This is the second round. So again, whoever wins this one, in a huge point of advantage because all they got to do is win one of their next two games, whereas the team that loses would have to win three straight to get to the College World Series. So I think whatever whoever wins today's game, I think wins the College World Series. That's how big the game is. LSU probably has a little bit of weakness in terms of their not number one pitcher uh, and Paul Skeenies. So we'll see if that pitching depth can really step up and help the Tigers through. Should we hold you to that? I think so. Okay. I mean, I did. I so so yeah. I tweeted the, the day. Yeah, the day that Jay Johnson left Nevada, I tweeted that he will win a national championship before he retires. He almost did it in year one. Mm -hmm. He got there with Arizona his first year, uh, you know, with the Wildcats. They ended up losing to Coastal Carolina in the national championship game. Has not been back to the College World Series until this year. This team is stacked, though. Uh, I mean, there's even uh, articles out there on ESPN that LSU, if you took their roster, is better than eight complete farm systems uh, of Major League Baseball teams. That's how good this team is. And they've played really good ball the entire season. So I do think if they win today, they win the World, the World Series. And that would be yeah. very exciting for Jay Johnson. He was a special coach when he was here. Um, only spent two years, unfortunately. But clearly, mm -hmm. uh, Stephanie Remp, who's Nevada's athletic director, had a big role in hiring him at LSU. So I'm sure she's cheering for him as well. That's one heck of a stat. Better than eight minor league farms. I yeah. mean, that's, that's pretty crazy. That is crazy. Well, should be. A good one as the excitement continues in Omaha. The Giants, though, sweep, swept the Dodgers this past weekend for the first time since 2012 at Dodger Stadium. Chris, man, that's a tough series. Uh, that was a tough series for that's the Dodgers. That's a tough series for your Dodgers. Yeah, I mean, game one, the Dodgers are up 4-0. The bullpen blew it as they have a lot this year. Game two, the Giants absolutely 
rip through the Dodgers. They win that one 15-0. That was their most lopsided loss at home in a long, long time as well. And then they take game three. And the Giants have been playing really good baseball of late. They've won seven in a row. They've won 10 of their last 12. That came after a little bit of a skid where they went two and five over a seven-game period. But it seems like their younger players are being incorporated in uh, to the Major League roster, and they're stepping up, and they're having some really good um, performances as well when you see uh, you know, what Casey Schmidt is doing and a number of other players that they've called up. So um, they're playing good baseball. Certainly the Dodgers have taken a huge step back this year, and it's been all about the pitching, specifically the bullpen. Second best bullpen in the majors last year, second worst bullpen in the majors this year. That will certainly lose you some games. So everyone's chasing Arizona, but the Giants have now skipped a half a game ahead of the Dodgers in those NL West standings. And I think the NL West is wide open. You got Arizona leading. I think, do they have the starting pitching to cover 162 games is their question. Then you have the Giants three and a half behind them, the Dodgers four behind them, and the Padres, who are playing horrible baseball at the beginning of the season, they're playing better ball. Uh, they're only a game under 500, so I think all four of those teams have a shot as we, you know, go into the dog days of summer. Anything can happen after the All-Star break, right? Anything yes. can happen. That was the Dodgers' worst home shutout loss since 1898. This is their worst the pitching Pirates. staff That's since they crazy. moved to L.A. in the 1960s. Like, I can't go back to the Brooklyn days, but the Dodgers have always been known for their pitching, and it seems like Clayton Kershaw has been there this year because he always is 15 uh, spectacular seasons, but everything around him has kind of fallen apart. Some injuries, some underperformance, and, uh, you know, the Giants, who a lot of their fans were saying, do we need to you know, fire the general manager and the manager earlier this season? They're playing some good ball, so it'll be a fun couple of months here in the National League West and across baseball because a lot of these high payroll teams, the Dodgers, the Padres, the Mets, the Phillies, the Yankees, they're not performing up mm -hmm. to what you were hoping for. So some of these lower ball, you know, uh, payroll teams, you've got the Orioles out there, you've got the Rays out there, you've right. got the Brewers out there, the Pirates are playing good baseball. It's been fun to see some of those teams play really well and show that payroll matters, but it doesn't dictate whether you're going to be good or, or bad in the regular season. So that's kind of been a fun storyline, too. Well, at least this isn't the last time these two teams will see each other this year. Last week at the uh, Take a Swing for Childhood Cancer event, I sat down with Mike Kruko at the ballpark, and, you know, I asked him about... Uh, just when he was with the, you know, when he was with the Giants pitching for them and, and some of his favorite memories. And he talked about this rivalry and how much this means to both of these teams, just like any rivalry, really. But to think that the Dodgers fell that's one of some of their worst losses uh, again in a rivalry game that's tough yeah I mean they haven't been playing great baseball and the Giants were playing good baseball coming into this series so it was somewhat predictable um, that first game was was very interesting how that one played out the Giants seemed like they had it wrapped up and then they let an infield pop fly uh, you know fall and then they threw it into right field, but then Mookie Betts kind of messed up the base running, so <laughs> a player got thrown out. So I wouldn't say either team played great baseball, yeah. but certainly the Giants being able to hit like they have over the last two weeks has been a very big positive for that club. Coming up next year on NSN Daily, we'll talk about Nevada football. They're receiving their first commit in the 2024 class. We'll tell you more about him right after. Welcome back. It was a nice weekend for head coach Ken Wilson and company landing their first commit in the 2024 class. The corner from Arizona, Jackson Barton, he recently took a visit. He held offers from a couple other programs, including UNLV, but decided that uh, Nevada will be his new home. Yeah, good uh, ad for Nevada. It's a little bit later start to the recruiting period than Nevada had last year. At this point last year, they had eight verbal commitments. So Jackson becomes the first verbal commitment of the 2024 class. Like you said, he did have that offer from UNLV. Also a couple of FCS schools, Northern Arizona, Montana State, Idaho, among those uh, teams. He's a big cornerback, six foot one, 175 pounds. He played for Sandra Day. 
Day O'Connor High School. Uh, last year as a junior, 34 tackles and one interception. That was a top 15 team in Arizona. Arizona's got some really good football, and it seems like uh, Nevada's trying to put a renewed emphasis on trying to recruit Arizona. That's something that they did when Chris Alt was the head coach and Ken Wilson was on his assistant staff. Maybe not so much under Brian Polian and Jay Norvell, so maybe trying to get back down there to Arizona. Uh, like I said, really good football being played out of there, and this is a kid who's got really good size. He's been fairly productive. He'll be a three-year varsity player, so uh, nice to get that first commitment. Mm -hmm. And he can officially sign his letter of intent in December, obviously a long way from here to there, but you may see a few more commitments as Nevada has been hosting a lot of official visits over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I'm sure we'll see some more names trickle in as the summer goes along. But now former Nevada football player, safety Bentley Sanders, selected by the D.C. Defenders in the XFL draft. He was invited to many camps by the Titans and the Eagles, but has found a home now on the East Coast in the XFL after a stellar senior year where he led the team with 82 tackles, five interceptions, five tackles for loss uh, last season. I think everyone was a little surprised he didn't get a chance to go to a full training camp with an NFL team. Had to go to those rookie mini camps and didn't do quite enough apparently to get a full invitation to the training camps, but a great opportunity. That's why I like these spring leagues. I don't think they get the highest rating. It's maybe not the highest quality of football, but you've seen a lot of players go to the XFL or the USFL and get a chance to go show that they deserve a chance either at the C CFL level up there in Canada or in the NFL. So um, hopefully the XFL continues to exist. I know Forbes put out a report last week that said they lost $60 million in their first year of their third iteration. But The Rock has said this is a long play and they're trying to grow it out over the long term. So hopefully there is an XFL next spring and Bentley's able to get out on the field because while not the biggest guy, he played spectacularly in his second senior season. He really uh, showed attention to detail in the study room. Uh, you could see him kind of anticipating a lot of plays before they happen, which is why he had so much success and was a midseason AP All-American. Hopefully he does get a shot because he was a great player for Nevada a really catalyst of their secondary last season. So it'll be, be tough to replace him this year. Yeah, I mean, that's a big question mark for Nevada, the safety position for sure, because you also lose Tyson Williams, you lose Tyreek Mack. So your top three tacklers all from the safety position out. Uh, I know the guys who are replacing them said, you know, we're ready to step in, but uh, those are a lot of productivity to replace. To me, Bentley Sanders was Nevada's best player last year. Former Nevada wide receiver Victor Snow is also transferring to Buffalo. He appeared in three games this past year. He was a walk-on. He's from New York, so he'll be heading back to his home state. And, you know, we thought maybe he would have had a better season this past year than what he did after the success we saw in the spring game in 2022. I'm very good in the spring game. I mean, he's had two spring games at Nevada, and he looked like the best player on the field in both. Uh, first spring game, seven catches, 76 yards. Uh, and then he had another spring game with four catches for 89 yards touchdowns in both of those games so he was a walk-on redshirt freshman last year that's kind of one of the big reasons that he wasn't able to play as many games as maybe he wanted but a very uh, circuitous route I mean uh, grew up in Rochester New York moved to Inglewood his senior season because he wanted to be recruited at a higher level then he did a post-grad year in Florida and then walked on here at Nevada so it does go full, full circle he left New York trying to get FBS opportunity and he's going to get that at Buffalo probably as a walk-on not a super big kid but I know Nevada staff was very impressed with him it just didn't all happen maybe fast enough and that's why he's headed back home he'll have four years of eligibility at Buffalo so hopefully he can find his niche there, but man, football season will be here before we know it. Nevada's season opener at USC this year. Yeah, and uh, we got uh, Mountain West Media Days not too far down the mm -hmm. road. I'm sure you'll be in attendance down there in Vegas at the Circa Resort. That's a little bit over a month away, so things certainly ramping up quickly here. Yeah, they sure are. Don't uh, 
don't let summer go by too fast, right? <laughs> <laughs> Coming up next here on NSN Daily, the Vegas Golden Knights held a parade on the Las Vegas Strip this weekend to celebrate their Stanley Cup victory. We'll chat a little bit about that next. Back here on NSN Daily, the Vegas Golden Knights celebrating hard in Southern Nevada this weekend. Chris, I feel like I can still hear it <laughs> from here. It almost looked like New Year's Eve in Las Vegas this weekend as the Knights uh, defeated the Panthers in five games last Tuesday night to win the franchise's first ever Stanley Cup final victory. You can see the team there hoisting the cup as they should. And man, looks like quite the celebration. Oh yeah, and they deserved it. I mean, obviously a phenomenal franchise. I was actually asked in a Monday mailbag question as I'm writing those up today, is this the greatest accomplishment or biggest sporting event in Nevada history? And I think you can put the Jack Johnson, Jim Jeffries fight from 1910 in Reno up there. You can put Squaw Valley, uh, obviously them hosting the 1960 Winter Olympics. And I think you would throw UNLV's 1990 Men's Basketball Championship, but nobody's done it at the pro level at this level. Obviously we saw the Vegas Aces win the WNBA title last year, but um, huge for that city. And I feel like no matter what happens, no matter what teams come into Las Vegas, whether it's the A's or a future NBA team, this will always be Vegas's number one team because they were homegrown and they were the first uh, from a major pro sports franchise to come into the city limits. So great to see that celebration. I guess, what were you feeling when you saw the Knights win a championship as a Vegas native? I was super excited. <laughs> I, I wished I was there. Were you I in wish, there? I, I wish say. I was there. <laughs> I wish. I left Vegas just a few days too early before the celebration last week. I really do wish I was there because I agree with you 100,000%. Being a Las Vegas native, there is no other team that will compare to the Vegas Golden Knights because they were the first team that are that's truly Vegas born. Mm -hmm. The Raiders were born in in California. It's just, you know, it's just different. Uh, I think whether the A's or any other team comes over from another city that it just won't be like the Golden Knights are and uh, just kind of the way it is. And great for hockey too, to be able to have that kind of celebration in Las Vegas, obviously a warm weather climate where you wouldn't think hockey would be able to thrive, to be able to see that scene and that support for a hockey team on the West Coast in a warm weather climate, in a place that you would not necessarily associate with hockey. It just shows how this sport has expanded and how it is touching all the regions of North America, really. It really is really cool to see right here in Northern Nevada, Reno Ice, when I was over there a couple weeks ago, man, it was packed <laughs> for a Sunday morning. So shows it was much needed to have a community ice arena here in Northern Nevada. We'll wrap up today's show right after this. Back here on NSN Daily, the Reno Rodeo continues all week. We had Mike Stephenson on earlier this morning, almost lost his hat, Chris. <laughs> uh, and we'll have NSN Daily out there for you on Wednesday and Thursday of this week. The action wraps up on Saturday night's always a fun week uh, for Northern Nevada here, Chris, and yep. uh, the action will continue. I think we're going to be set up over at the Livestock Event Center, and we should have a nice view of kind of the backdrop of all the rodeo. So if you are out, we're going to probably tape around 3 o'clock. Come say hi at the set, but we'll get a bunch of really good interviews, and it's always fun to, uh, to bring out the mobile desk. I know it's a, a lot of work for our director of operations, Anthony Resnick, but this is one of our marquee events in the summer, so we'll have almost the entire staff out there if you want to come by and say hello and uh, catch a little bit of the rodeo action. 
So I have to ask you, what's your favorite carnival food? Because that is a big piece of, of going sure out to the rodeo. Is. It's the carnival and the food. I, I think I want something that I wouldn't eat on a regular basis. So those deep fried uh, corn dogs are obviously very, very good. But we've got corn dogs in our fridge. I don't <laughs> eat very many of them, but my son does. So I'm going to go with the funnel cake because that's not something that I normally make at my house for myself. So you might as well splurge on something. So that's what I'm picking. That's what I'm picking as wow. well. Wow. Man, we've we been both two like for barrel two. racing. Yeah. We both like funnel cake. <laughs> I love funnel cake. That's my favorite. Growing up, yeah. uh, going down to the Jersey Shore, that's what we'd get every year. That was a staple. We'd have to get a funnel cake. Nice. So we should do a compare cake. and contrast. Better funnel cake at the Reno Rodeo or the Jersey, Jersey Shore? Shore? Maybe. We'll have some like okay. social only posts of us around the carnivals and stuff like that too. So if you follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those things, you'll get some behind the scenes stuff too. Should be fun. Fun time as always. Thanks for joining us here on this Monday. He's Chris Murray. I'm Shannon Kelly. We'll see you tomorrow.